We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who love America. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week as I introduce you to a hero, a freedom fighter, a veteran, a warrior, an immigrant, and other inspiring Americans living their American dreams with one common thread. They love America. In this podcast, we talk about the hard things, emotional and physical scars, PTSD, real challenges, and how they not only weathered the storms, but rose above the clouds to become stronger and better. Be assured, we laugh too. What is life without a bit of humor? These stories confirm what our founding fathers believed. America is truly a special place for a special people, and you are part of this great story. We the people, our American story is your podcast. Find yourself in this space every week, a place where American values are cherished and treasured, a place where we celebrate each other, a place you belong. Operation Enduring Warrior's mission is to honor, empower, and motivate our nation's wounded military and law enforcement veterans through programs ranging from skydiving, public speaking, archery, endurance races, and much more. Honorees overcome adversity and hardship through innovation, teamwork, and perseverance. Together, our team, honorees, and supporters make up our OEW family. Operation Enduring Warrior, honoring their sacrifice. For more information, visit EnduringWarrior.org. Last week, Frank's American Story Part 1 ended with him on an operating table, his legs horribly mangled from an IED. In Part 2, we pick up with Frank waking up from surgery, both legs amputated. This is Frank's American Story Part 2. I woke up again in Iraq in a tent, and there was like an army nurse there, she came to my bed and there were other beds like in a uh, forest gump, but it was in a tent in the desert because we weren't out of the war zone. We just, they had to get me stabilized. Uh, I woke up. Naturally, the first thing I do is look down. I would say I was, I guess, disappointed, but I was also so grateful that I was still here. I felt like this sense of like, I can't believe I just made it through this. Your legs were gone then? They'd amputated them? Yeah. You never saw your legs then after you were injured? No, I, I asked skills about it, you know, years later when I could like handle all that stuff. I asked him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm okay, man. Just tell me like, what did, what did it look like if it's not too much for you to go through? No, nah, dude, they were just mangled, man. They weren't like completely torn off. Some people, their legs stay in the Humvee. They get sawed off right away of the shrapnel and all that and there's been cases where guys their legs are just still in the humvee when they get out how far up were they amputated then so right about on the right side is my longest the long limb and so right above the knee is about where the amputation is so i got pretty good length and then they left me a bone and those guys do miracle work on us when it comes to surgery and stuff. They know that we want to get on prosthetics, do all this stuff. They leave you a little bit of bone. They took a piece of my, I have a piece of my hip bone missing on the right. And they put it in my left because I have a screw and a bolt in my left leg, which is, I'm going to say half of my thigh. That's where it's amputated at. And so half my hamstring pretty much. And it's got a bolt and a screw and uh, they put a, a piece of my bone in there to give me extra length because they knew I would need it for prosthetics one day if I wanted to walk. How surreal is that to look down and there are no legs? Like you're looking at a green screen, you know, like Forrest Gump. <laughs> like, wait, is that weird? Um, when I, at this moment, when I woke up and see this, um, and every guy will tell you this, I want to say this as PG as possible. My legs were gone, but I was worried about other things than that. You're not the first man that has told me this on the podcast, right? I think that's where maybe the, okay, well, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> the relief came in like, okay. 
and so many guys that I know, uh, we we share that joke, and I and it's just like I I feel I assume that that's the normal reaction. So <laughs> I think you're pretty right there because I've heard it more than a few times. You go back to Germany then, and then from Germany to Walter Reed. Uh, got me stabilized. I the next time I fell asleep because right after she asked the question, it was like in the movie where the eyes close and you just see the eyelid silhouette, and then I opened them again. And I'm on the middle of a C-130 and, and I'm on a bunk bed and it's like a hospital on this plane. I keep talking about how amazing all this stuff is because I, you know, I want people to know we complain as Americans, we complain like if we don't get our, you know, our Starbucks or something, but it's like there are people that are doing miraculous things while we're complaining. And so the next time I woke up, my arm is hanging off the little bunk because they got you elevated. I and you can't make this stuff up. I look over and my gunner, by the way, and in the accident, he got projected 15 feet in front of the Humvee, broke both his legs. So, and and he walks today, I think with a cane sometimes, but the man is doing well. So shout out to Jose Lopez, my gunner, the greatest gunner in the world. So arms hanging and Jose is across the way in another bunk. And at this moment, he's like awake and he looks over at me and all I could do, I couldn't yell. I couldn't even say it. It's like my, I didn't have a voice. And I just kind of lift my arm. I kind of turned my, my wrist and I kind of did one of these numbers. And I remember a single tear drops from his eye. And at this point, I was probably going to get emotional, but then I fell back asleep because all the drugs and I woke up in Germany again. Oh, good, you're awake. Sergeant Major and uh, the Colonel, they wanna come present you with the unit coin and all this. Uh, they came in, presented me with, with a very cool coin that I still have to this day because I'm very proud that I got to be a part of the Big Red One. It was a big deal for me. They leave, I sleep for a little while. I guess I wake up, I don't know if it was the same day or another day with my mom and sister living in Germany they come visit me in launch tool. And I got to say this, and this is like why people are so amazing too. Like when we're getting off the plane in launch tool, I, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't really want it, but you get off the plane and they're wheeling you off in the stretcher or the hospital bed and people are just lined up to the hospital doors and they're clapping and they got banners and, they're, and there's Americans everywhere. And they're, and, and like, do you guys just live here? Like, I mean, you know, so they're just so proud of you. That's something I'll never forget. It's just, you know, because it's a reoccurring theme, of course, in my life since I've been hurt. Many great people have come forward like this. But yeah, that, that's one thing that sticks out to me. Mom and sis come down to visit me in Launch Stool. What is your mom's, do you remember her expression or were you um, awake enough to see the first time that she sees her son in this condition? Yeah, so we've actually had this conversation uh, because I always want to know, you know, how, how did you feel? How did, you know, it's not just about me. It's about everybody. We're a family. Mom and sis were just in the hallway talking to the doctor and my sister was, was like, we were just crying and we were just so sad that, you know, but we were so happy that you were okay, that you were here. And my sister said, because I don't remember any of this. And I guess this was the thing that I was doing for a while, but I was so drugged up. I remember they kind of peeked their head in the door and slowly kind of timidly, my mom kind of came in, didn't want to, I guess, startle me or something. Wouldn't have mattered because I was so drugged up. All And my sister goes, you just looked at us and you put the biggest smile on your face and you just told us, I'm going to be okay. And we talked for a couple minutes and then he just fell asleep. <laughs> How long were you in Germany? Uh, maybe a couple of days. And it oh, was that's a it. So they didn't get to spend a lot of time with you. No, no. They got to come see me. Once I woke up, they got to speak to me. And that was the only altercation they had. And then they came to Bamsey in San Antonio. And because that's when I fell asleep, I woke up in San Antonio. And I remember 
and, and people can always relate to this in these situations. And even if you're not a soldier, if you've been in a hospital and you got the tube down your throat, uh, your throat is so dry. It is unbelievably parched. It, it, it is next level parched. I wake up from the parchedness and I see um, she was a younger nurse. And I said, hey, where am I? You're at Bamsey in San Antonio. Can I give you some water? I can't give you any water because there's this whole thing where they can't give you water for a certain period of time because it might mess with the stuff in the surgery. She was so cool because she snuck and grabbed some ice chips. And she said, here, and she gave me some ice chips. I don't remember much of the conversation. I do remember she would come up to my hospital room periodically, sometimes after that, and visit and 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 her and uh, another another lady like her that was a nurse would come up and just pray for me, like every so often, which was nice. After that, I spent two months in the hospital bed in Bamsey, on my back, never on my side, mm. never laying forward. This is where I developed at this time such bad sleeping. Uh, habits and insomnia. I didn't have many nightmares. I did have some, you know, your brain, I think, is trying to process things. And so you go back and you live it when you sleep. And it's very real. And then you kind of wake up in the cold sweats and all this. I spent two months in that bed. And until one day, they said, you're ready to start doing PT here in a week. So you didn't ever go to Walter Reed? No. Oh, okay. I think you're the first person that I've talked to with an injury that hasn't gone to Walter Reed. I just assumed. No, because at some point, I don't remember this either, but I know they asked me, they said, uh, they give you a choice because I was from Texas. And Bamsey is, I'm not capping on Walter Reed. But I've heard horror stories from that place from some veterans at that time. Maybe it's better now. I will I will say Bamsey is second to none when it comes to uh, the way they take care of the, the surgeries, the systems. I mean, it's it's a military hospital, but it, it, it can be a civilian hospital as well, you know. You're in bed for two months, and then what is it time to start actually doing your therapy, getting those prosthetics? It's time to start the long road to recovery. At Bamsey, they don't give you time once you can get out of the bed to feel sorry for yourself. They put you in PT right away, 5 a.m., you're waking up, you're going down there, just like you're in the military. This old guy comes walking in. His name is Fred. He's a physical therapist. He's a retired colonel. He's a, he's a great guy. He, he likes to joke, but at the same time, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He just comes up, and we don't, we don't have the friendly rapport yet. Uh, but at this time, I will tell you, I started because they gave me bands while I was in the, the stretchy bands, while I was in the bed. So I would hang them over the thing, and I would actually start trying to pull myself up because when they would come change my bed sheets, it would hurt so much mm. to just move because my legs being bandaged up and they had to do the dressing changes every day and rip away all the scabs. They were so sensitive. So I just learned to grab this thing. So when he came and did the bed sheets, all he had to do was I would just lift and hold myself. I can't believe you could do that. I can't believe it either. I was crazy. <laughs> That's how crazy I am. And I would so, think you would be so weak. But it was two months. So I had had two months of fluids, uh, breakfast, Gatorades, um, all, you know, all my blood uh, has slowly came back. I, I would only need about another three weeks of the blood uh, every day. I had had all my antibiotics. Is it awful to make a joke and say, well, I guess it's because you didn't have as much to lift either? <laughs> no. No, that's that. And, 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 you know, the public doesn't really get it because it's like, uh, that's how me and all my buddies joke, whether they're military or not. Uh, my friends, they cannot wait for the opportunity to present itself to make a leg joke. 
or you or have to, to, right? You have to. Uh, and the whole psychology of it is you laugh in the face of fear. Yes, it's scary, but let's laugh at it. Let's dance with it. Let's get to know it. Maybe if I get to know my fear, it just becomes my buddy. What was therapy like? It, I think it was cool because um, I always been had that athletic kind of mind playing basketball and playing sports growing up. And that was one thing about my sister. She was an Olympic athlete while I was growing up. She was a professional soccer player. Oh, wow. Was actually at one point the women's ambassador for the German women's national team. So she just flew to country to country after her career and yeah, did way bigger stuff that I, I've never done. Um, and so I always had this instilled in me. I always had this, like, I think I, I'm always willing to try any sports, you know, only because I would play basketball and I love that. It didn't mean that I didn't want to like now try. I mean, I saw guys like me skiing. I saw guys like me uh, waveboarding and surfing. And I've done all those things. It's like, that was, um, I think that having all those guys around you, that's why they do it. Those guys are just as hurt as you and they can be complaining just like you. And from the moment you get down there, it's really all love. You know, the therapists are joking the way me and you just joked. And, and that's what I tell people is like, if you know somebody like me, don't just stare at us, like come up and talk to us, make a joke. You know, like if you see I'm friendly, if you see I'm not disturbed in my in my mental, then come up and say something. You know what I mean? Like because the people that do, they get the reward of a great personality. They they maybe get a friend. They you know, and I get a great friendship. We cheat the world of that when we we assume that you know people are just uh, ah yeah you know so but you can't make jokes like that's because of all the cancel culture and I don't agree with all that stuff. I'm a hater of cancel culture. I would say if anybody's watching this, cancel me, go for it. Cancel me, all right? You know, I'm not, I'm not Dave Chappelle or anybody. I'm not gonna come <laughs> back like that. But you know, it's like, cancel me. Therapy was your full-time job and there had to have been really frustrating days where you were like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just gonna go lay in bed and die. I really don't care. I always have, I have a quote that I made up. It says, I feel like giving up all the time. The only difference between me and those that do is that I don't. I and like so, that. You know, it's like the feeling. It's like I, I work out right now. I'm even doing a 75 hard challenge. So for 75 days, I got to work out twice a day and do all these tasks. I work, I work out, but I don't feel like working out usually most of the time. Me either. There it is. There's a secret. You know, there's a secret is the people who get really good. I know. Yeah. That's it. So, I mean, Joe Rogan even said it. He said, I'd be, I'd be a pretty fat guy if, if I, if I only worked out when I felt like it, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, I know. What was it like the first time you tried on prosthetics? Alien, so foreign? Sure. You're like a baby deer. You just feel like you're just going to fall. You know, I was 6'3 when I got hurt. So. I was going to ask you that. Holy cow, you were tall. That's why I got the, uh, NBA player arms. How tall are you with your prosthetics? Um, now I'm only about 5'11", 5 5 Oh, man, they took a good four inches off you. For good reason. It, you know, and that could change because I've been higher, I've been taller, but I wanted to be a little lower just for center of gravity and balance because you're not getting a new set of legs. Yes, they are legs in the sense of being prosthetics, but much like a wheelchair is an aid, it's just a different type of wheelchair. Now, of course, obviously it allows you to, to do different things, but there's things that I can, I can do better in my chair that I can't do on prosthetics and vice versa. It's not always that they make life easier and they take a lot of work for guys. If you see the guys that they always put on TV, you know, well, all the one-legged guys always get all the shine. Oh, they always want to play the one-legged amputee in the movies. They never want to get do the guy in the wheelchair, you know. And if it is, it's always got to be like, here comes the special kid in the wheelchair. I hate that. You can tell I have a, I have a personal thing with that. You're like, they always get all the shine. And, you know, my buddies will tell you, yeah, it's much easier compared to having no knees, having two prosthetics where your center of gravity now is in your, in your abs, in your stomach. So you probably have some pretty good abs then, right? I do. I do. <laughs> you can thank my trainer for those. 
not by choice, no. But it, yeah, it's all core. And that's why I focus a lot of my workouts on core and stuff like that. I'm not on my prosthetics right now a lot. I haven't been on my prosthetics for a few months. If you're off your prosthetics for a few months and then you get back on, do you have to adjust like, uh, like your skin and all of that? The chafing? No, because you wear a liner. Right, but it still doesn't hurt to readjust to it? No, because remember, once you can wrap your mind around things, and this is, works this way in everything okay. in life, once you wrap your mind around it and you're used to what it is, then it becomes easy in that way. So I'm no longer starting over every time I get on back on prosthetics. I'm starting from experience. On your Spartan race, it was in California, right? Right. You pack your prosthetics, you didn't take them with you? No. What? No. I couldn't. I, I'm right now I'm getting sockets worked on by the VA and I haven't got my new legs yet. So I couldn't wear them if I wanted to. You've been without legs then for about two months. That's kind of funny, right? I mean, because I'm always going to be without legs. Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you feel, I don't want to say hostage, but do you feel like there are certain things that you can't do right now without them? That's frustrating. No, I have been single for a good five, six years. I own a four bedroom house. I do everything that I do that anybody does in life. I, I clean my own house. I take care of all my bills. I go out there. I help my neighbors in the yard. I climb trees. I, I do things that amputees are not really supposed to do. I always say I take wheelchairs in places where they're not supposed to go. I, I, I do everything because, you know, I don't have my shelves lowered in my house. And I'm not, there are some people who really need that. There are some people who physically, they need this. In my case, I feel very fortunate because I just lost my legs. Yeah, I got some scars and some shrapnel, and but but guess what? I mean, I'm blessed. I got everything else, and it go and it's great. I live a normal life. I don't want my shelves lowered. I'll go in public, and people always expect you can see it. Like it's this funny thing. Some people do if they don't know you. They'll like almost try to get ahead of you to open the door, and I and I take that as a as a as a nice thing, as a nice gesture. So I'm not. I don't mind that. I let people open the door for me all the time. Not everybody gets that. Sometimes I'll make it a point to kind of beat them and reach out because I got these long arms. I could just reach out and I beat them and I grab the door and I open it for them. I, you know, I'm just always trying to prove that to people that only because you can't do this one little deal. Okay, okay. So I can't enjoy long walks on the beach. Big deal. Your wheelchair might get stuck in the sand too if you try to do that, wouldn't it? I know somebody here in Utah who's a double amputee and he has, you seen those ones with the treads that take yeah. you through the mud and all that? You need one of those for the sand. You have one of those? I have a tractor actually. Oh, you um, do? Okay, then you have to take that to the beach. The, the terrible thing about those is, uh, not terrible thing uh, because it's a really great blessing that I have that. The planes, the airliners won't uh, ship it because of the batteries, the types of batteries that are on it. Okay. I have a lot of questions for you, Frank. Are you ready? I am. Number one, was your house donated then? Was it built for you? No. No? I, uh, I, I was uh, at that time in, in 08, 07, I was in a relationship and we just started looking for a house. I used my VA loan to get the house. Okay. So you didn't yeah. ever have anybody offer to build a house for you? like? tunnel to towers or I, I had, I had for a couple of the like I applied for homes for vets I think but I just never got accepted mm -hmm. and many people are doing that I am wondering what your darkest days were like how you got out of that and of course how you came across OEW darkest days or maybe you didn't have any darkest days. If you're not human, then I guess you didn't. Are you human? Did you have dark days? <laughs> I would think there had to have been few in there, weren't there? Don't start that rumor. No, I am 100% human. Trust me. I bleed like everybody. My, dark, my darkest times really that stick out to me that I kind of I kind of always tell people about this because I do get asked this question. How did you get from being that guy to being this guy today? The darkest times were right around when my relationship was ending. Me, me and my ex, we are, we are great friends and we are better friends than we ever were in a relationship, right? Because in my 20s, I didn't have the, the tools. I had the mental awareness. I had the maturity to a certain extent, 
but the wild child was still there. I hadn't grown up all the way. You know, going back to what I was saying about how the army kind of shielded me, not sheltered me, but it, it paid the way and it did this and it held your hand. Well, here I am now. I'm 30 years old or turning 30 at this time. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I, I did the war thing. You know, I've done some, some highs and lows since then. Uh, I've had some, some achievements then, but I wasn't fulfilled. When we split up, now here I was. And to me, it's not a mansion, but to me, for one guy, it's a big old house. You know, it, it, and you really feel that when you're alone. And I think most of my life, I have feared to some level being alone. Here it was now, I had overcome and lived this and the, and the, and the movie, I've, I've had the story and people have celebrated and the movie now, the credits have run. And now it's like, okay, life, then what? Now you got, now you got 50, 60 more years. And depending on, I think what would have happened here, I could, I would have stayed in that had she not left because um, I would have never had to face myself. Got pretty dark, life became a party, 29 years old, you know, paying my bills comfortably for a while, like, you know, didn't really struggle in, in those ways anymore. I had kind of came up from where I was and I kind of had forgotten some of the humble beginnings. Didn't like say that I changed in a way that I was just a, you know, a dirtbag or something, but here I got, was again getting lost. I started drinking all the time, every night. I, I could find anybody that was, was having a party, I could, I could find them. I didn't get into drugs or anything like that. Uh, however, if it would, probably would have went a little further, who knows? Because, it, you know, it's the same, whether you're on alcohol, whether you're on whatever. And at this time, my biggest drug was anger. Mm. Now that anger had gotten me through all those hard times. It had made me tough. But what they don't tell you is toughness can't deal with kids. It can't deal with the softer side of a relationship. It can't deal with trying to be a motivational person and spread positivity. That's not anger. That's not resentment. And that's what I had. What were you and angry at? I was angry because when I got hurt, they gave me a lump sum of money and I kind of Life was just easy as far as money and everything went. And so I never dealt with the fact that I was upset that, that some guy tried to kill me sitting here with no legs. You know, I was 6'3", and all the things that play in your ego. And, you know, I never really had a problem dating or anything like that. So that didn't really play through my mind. But I think that was all part of it now because I was single again. Yeah, I, it, it's, um, I feel like, I was trying to show the world once again, even with prosthetics. When I got on prosthetics and I was walking around doing all living my life, I thought the world was gonna see me as a guy with legs. The world doesn't see you as a guy with legs. You're just another special attraction now. Mm. You're just another guy that's gonna get attention everywhere you go. And that's what I didn't want. I, I so bad wanted to be famous when I was a little kid. I don't ever want to be famous now because now I can't just go into public and people don't notice me. But it's even worse because nobody is fanning me. Nobody is asking you for your audit. Not that I want that, but I'm just making the, this point, this distinction. You know, so it's almost this, this thing where it does become heavy and your anger, when you're alone, your anger this thing that fueled you to get you to this prestigious position where people go, okay, you're some kind of hero to them or whatever they say. I don't really like that word, but that's what people kind of throw around. It's like, how do I take that and be happy with it? How can I feel fulfilled when I had to do pretty bad things to other human beings to, and now people are like clapping for you and they're so happy and and I had to go through all that, but I couldn't face it. 
all those years that I was with her because, and it's not her fault. I'm not blaming anything. Uh, it was just, yeah, money was good and, and, and new house and, and, and things were happening and life was just so, you know, new and you didn't really have time to get caught up on how you felt or, or the little stuff. And, you know, it leaks out slowly when you have an argument with your significant other because the argument becomes much bigger than it needs to be. Or, or you're in traffic and a guy cuts you off and now you have to go road rage. You know, th th these are all things because I didn't understand that I didn't deal with my anger because I had resentment for, man, life is unfair, you know? And, and I lost my dad when I was a kid and I didn't really ever mourn that all the way. So I had to, to go back and really look at that. And then, you know, it, it might've taken a few days or whatever, but then, you know, eventually I just start crying out of nowhere because I'm really, you know, and then I, I kind of filtered it. And I mean, I'm 29, almost 30 years old, but being alone, facing myself, it was really frustrating at first. But then when I started feeling like a loser, like when I really felt it, it was one night and it was about six years ago or more. I said, I'm going to start working out. I had told my buddy we were drinking in his garage. I said, man, you know what? Because we're talking about the Invicta games, you know, and th these games for disabled guys and, and girls. And and, um, and I just thought, wow, how can, I, how can I, you know, I would feel really redeemed. Like I could do something. I could be an athlete again. I could, you know, I could do something. And I told my buddy and I said, watch, man, just give it some time. I'm going and I said it like this. I said, I'm going to be the most fit amputee in the world. And I'm going to be a motivator of the people. And I'm going to be one of the greatest people you know. I didn't believe half of that stuff when I was <laughs> saying it because I was doubting. Because, you know, you, you talk, you, you, you want to hype yourself up because, you know, maybe you think it, that magic thing will happen. And, but it, it has nothing to do with the, the magic of it. It has everything to do with what you feel like you deserve in here. I was saying all that stuff, but I hadn't gotten to the point to where I felt like I deserved it. And Tony Robbins always used to say, you don't get what you want, you get what you deserve. And he's right, because I was drinking one night. I'm like, yeah, I'm all hyped up because I'm, I'm buzzed. I'm like, I'm gonna, yeah, tomorrow's the day I'm gonna work out, text my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right and so just for fun because i was listening to some music having a good time i hop on my pull-up bar i have a pull-up bar in my closet hop on my pull-up bar still there to this day that pull-up bar made a man out of me this that day but i go and i do like five or ten pull-ups and i'm feeling good and i hop back down in my chair and of course stomach is turning i go in the bathroom and i start uh, heaving everything, you know, my food. Uh, I was just sick from the alcohol. You know, I drank too much. Uh, I almost felt, and I spent like the next hour throwing up. I almost felt like I had alcohol poisoning, but I didn't. So at this, it was at this point where I'm, I kid you not, I'm like, dude, Frank, all those people giving you compliments and, and thinking and calling you this and saying, thank you for your service. What would they think of you now? And I'm talking to myself, like, like we're having a conversation and I look in the mirror, sweat pouring down my face right before I go back to, for another round, right? And, and I get done and I, and I go, I'm a loser, you know? And, and I said, I said, I'm a loser. I can't, I can't make my relationship work. I'm not doing anything for the world. I'm just getting paid every month and I'm paying bills. And I think I'm special because of that. Paying bills is what you're supposed to do, but it's not why you were created. And I didn't know that at this point, but after that little session, I said, you know what? Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the part where I take the break from drinking. What I've learned when it comes to drinking, and this is what I say to other shows, because I don't condemn drinking. What I say is, Define your relationship with alcohol or whatever you do the most. Because that will become you. And we're all terrible when we're drunk. I started listening to, I got on YouTube like that week. I started getting on YouTube and I found a man by the name of 
David Goggins. And of course, like many thousands and maybe millions of Americans, he changed, he changed my perspective on mental toughness because I already knew I had that mental toughness. It's not the problem of me pulling the trigger. It's the problem of me actually learning the mechanics of the weapon and, and appreciating the art of the craft and actually honing it. That's what I was missing, that vital part of every great man. I started getting into the self-help. I started doing everything, re listening to YouTube, listening to positive affirmations. I even did sleep uh, hypnosis. I started working on my sleep more and more because the more success I had, it, the little successes, I, I felt more confident. I felt more motivated every time. And I said, oh man, I'm building something. I, it's happening, you know? It took three or four years and then I'm working out. And I'm really getting on a new level. And then I'm, I'm at this point, I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna get certified as a life coach. So I go get certified as a life coach. Cause I, at this point I've helped myself face my demons. I've pulled myself out of PTSD and, and PTSD doesn't go away. Demons don't go away. You have to learn how to deal with them. Everybody has them. I don't care if you were born with a silver spoon or if you were born down in the dumps or whatever, we all got some hardships. And when you learn this secret of life, you start feeling sorry for yourself because you understand that everybody is in this same, same deal and only the ego will allow us to be like, okay, well, my situation is harder. And that's why I don't let people pity me because I'm like, you don't know my situation is uh, harder than yours. Like I see some people struggling to, get, to walk up to the grocery store, you know what I mean? And they're out of breath and I'm not making fun of them, but I'm just wheeling past like, you know, and they're looking at me like, God, you know, and I know what they're looking at. They're like, first of all, they're like, oh man, that's, you know, just the way I was looking at David Goggins and Tony Robbins and all those guys and Les Brown, one of my favorite motivational speakers. Like that, that is what everybody needs. Everybody has that potential. And, and when I realized that potential and I was alone when I did it, and that's why I messed up and I failed along the way, but I failed my way to success. And I keep failing my way. That's how I know failure is a sign. I, I love to fail. It's going to happen. I just started rebuilding myself. And with going, getting certified as a life coach, I had two life coaches. And now I had people that were older and younger and giving me perspective on life and saying, well, you know, Frank, you really were through some hard stuff. Like you need to acknowledge that stuff. It's not feeling sorry for yourself. You just need to acknowledge what, what is. You don't need to celebrate it. Hey, let's let's put it up right here and we're just going to clean our room out and, and then we're going to make room for more. And that's just going to stay over here. Once I got kind of to that point, like I said, I could help other people. I started helping my vet veteran buddies with PTSD and there is no cure. There's just touch and go. And and sometimes it's, you know, I have somebody has an episode and it's been six or eight months since we got good. But. Now we need to revitalize. And that's why I think they call me a life coach and not a sometimes coach. It's a, it's a thing I find with everybody I work with, once they get a little better, so a lot of people, okay, Frank, I'll, uh, you know, and they stop calling me this and that. I was like, okay, you'll be back, you know? <laughs> but that's, that's where it got to. And so 2019 is when I met John Nicholson, who is the guy who was the reason, who, who ran the Spartan race with me, him and his brother. And he is the reason that I went to the next level of being like athletic and surprised myself and, and, and like said, okay, well, I don't have to just be like the, the guy with the disability that can do some things. Like I can really be that guy that I was talking about. And I'm still working on that guy. You know what I mean? I'm never going to stop working on that guy. It's not like I'm going to get to some finish line and I'm going to be this perfect specimen of uh, a veteran or whatever people look at me as. I just feel like it, every day is a race. And if you choose to run it, then there you go. Th then you got hope, you know, then you got motivation. But yeah, you know what? I'm going to sit out. I've ran a few races. Then, you, you know, life is over. The calendar might as well turn and that'll be that. It's just, I think, building up a mindset over time <clears throat> and then noticing my bad habits and admitting those things to myself. And then replacing the bad habits with good rituals. So is John with OEW? No. Okay. So John is the reason I, I got to OEW. John 
lives in Cali. We met on a hunting trip through a mutual friend because he's a veteran. And so we met through another veteran that I've known a longer time. And, and John played baseball with my buddy because my buddy has one leg and his name is uh, Nicholas Clark. <clears throat> he's actually an actor on Netflix and stuff now. So I met John on, on one of the hunting trips that he invited me to. And me and John just kind of clicked right away. John um, says one time, I said, man, I've never been to California. I said, man, I've been all around the world. I've never been to California. He's like, well, what are you waiting for? Just like, in, like a Californian. And so, you know, you just got to take the five to the one. And <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, he's like, just fly in, you know, this and that. And John is the type of guy, he has a girlfriend, he has a dog, but he doesn't have kids. He lives a very free life. He, he travels a lot. He's always doing athletic things, climbing mountains, going skiing here, snowboarding, doing it. And, and when I became friends with him, I just thought, because, you know, he would do something and I would come down. And the first thing we did is, because he lives up near a mountain called Mammoth Mountain, beautiful, magical place. And they have an adaptive ski program. And I could barely ski when I had legs. And so... He goes, yeah, you can come down for Christmas, stay with the family. You know, I had met the family once at this point and said, and the family invites me for Christmas. You know what I mean? And uh, I said, of course, I'm going to come. You know what I mean? And I went down there, went skiing. And I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm not running on, but it's like it created this, this smorgasbord of what it is now. We started with the skiing on Man of the Mountain and I loved it so much. So tell him this story. I remember, and this is why this stuff is in my destiny and OEW and everything, because I remember when I came back from the first time skiing, and that was the first time I'd skied ever being disabled. And I was so filled with joy that I had to quickly go and take a shower. And when I got in the shower, I just kind of lost it. I kind of just, I was so happy I just started crying. I mean, it was this, this, this like, you know, Frank, stop doubting, stop, you know, you know, and all, and, and just reinforced what I, this mission I had been on. So I was just happy. This is leading all up to this. And now I've had this great moment and I've, I've made a new family and uh, we've been doing things ever since. And then about what, about a month and I, two months ago. That's it? Yeah. Oh. Like a month before the Spartan, he he texts me. He text no 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 that that didn't what I was saying didn't happen a month ago. I mean right, but I mean it's OEW. Yeah. Now fast yeah. forward now, now a few years, and me and John doing stuff, traveling. I'm going to Cali all the time. Right. We've surfed. We've skied. Done all this, and he texts me when I'm here, uh, about a month before the Spartan race, and he goes. Hey, me and uh, me and um, Josh, we're gonna do a Spartan. You should try it. I didn't even think about it. I go, cause it's John. You, you know, he's he's the guy that he believes so much in me. It, like if he says, "Hey, let's go, let's go wrestle these bears," people are doing it. Like, okay, we're doing this. All right, you know. Well, I hope he doesn't tell you to go jump off a cliff with him, then. No, we've already done that. We've okay. <laughs> And I didn't think twice about it. And I went right away online and I signed up and I paid the 180 or whatever it was. And, and uh, I got on the team with him. And, and then after about a day later, I hit him up and when we were working out, because we work out on video chat all the time. And I said, hey, uh, by the way, how am I going to do this race? Because my chair is not going to go up mountains and in crazy terrain. And this is before we knew OEW. And this is why I got to tell the story this way. And this is the, the beauty of life that I, I love. I love this kind of stuff because we start scheming. And, and from the get-go, John is always the guy, don't worry about it. We're going to do it. He said, if we have to carry you, we're going to do it. And I said, 21 miles or 13 miles, they're going to carry me, 21K? Like, okay, buddy. And uh, I said, you're strong. That's a heavy rock, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a super, and, and it makes a lot of noise too. So. <laughs> he, he goes, he said, wait, can you go to the VA and maybe, uh, so maybe I can go to the VA and get some knobby tires. But I said, I don't think I'll have enough time. I only have like a month in the VA. 
is not known for uh, fast load times. So, uh, and I'm not I'm not hating on the VA. I do I do love the VA, and I hate the VA. But it's like a, you know it's a love hate relationship. I do love the VA, and uh, I I'm grateful that I have it because uh, it does do some great things in my life. But John's like, well, uh, I got a buddy that works, and John is the kind of guy he's got a friend that works everywhere. I, I love it. I, I love it because John's like, oh yeah, I got a buddy who works in the uh, bike shop down here, so I'll just I just I had him put some uh, some Dobby tires on on reserve just just in case you need them for your chair, and so that was the initial plan. So as we're leading up weeks to the race, we're still kind of talking about it, and we want to kind of get something else on board just in case, just so we can be prepared. John reaches out to his buddy Morgan, who got us uh, surfing with Operation Surf. Uh, and that's owned by Van, great people over there down the road from Pismo. He gets led to, and we even talked to Van at one point, and, 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 all, and talking to those guys and gets us linked up with another organization. And then that gets us linked up with Chris and the VP. John calls Chris, and this is how awesome of a friend, and this is why I don't complain, because I have friends like this that he didn't even say, hey, Frank, this is what we're going to do. No, he did this. He coordinated this stuff with Chris. And then and then he came back to me and he said, oh, yeah, man, I got great news for you. But we got to wait till we work out. I'll tell you, you know, so we're working out, having our little uh, therapy session. And he goes, listen, I got a uh, hold of this organization called OEW, Operation Enduring Warrior. And they actually make a chair for Spartan races. And here I am, little kid in the candy store. You know, so <laughs> I feel so grateful that people invent these things and people make this possible and they care so much about people like me and our quality of life that this, this stuff exists. If you, if you sit around feeling sorry for yourself, you never even notice these beautiful people exist in the world. And yes, you can, you don't, you know, maybe it's different. So what? Now you got the spotlight. So own it. You're going to be different. But anyways, I'm, I'm kind of getting into the motivational stuff there. But you can't help yourself. I can't. He's like, it's called a grit chair. And so we look it up. Then uh, later that day, I talked to Chris. We have a great combo. He tells me about the organization. Um, he says, listen, right now, and it was a week out from the race. After we get off the phone, Sign up as an honoree. I fly a couple of guys down and, and you'll run the race with them with a couple of the mass soldiers. And I said, what? You know, and so, and I was just stoked because I had seen the footage with the mass soldiers and stuff because he had sent me some, some tapes of uh, Todd. And so I believe, yeah, Todd has one arm and no legs. And so, uh, and when I saw that and I saw the, them going through the mud and, and I said, oh, yeah, this signed me up right here. And and he 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 made Chris made it happen. And I signed up that night, became an honoree right away, met Jeremy and Mike. And I mean, we're, we've been friends ever since, you know, ran the race together and they did not take off those masks the entire time. And guess what? Because I wanted to try every obstacle and I'd wanted to finish. That was my main goal was just to finish. We spent nine hours and 18 minutes on the course. And those guys wore those masks, helping me doing whatever they could do, being selfless in their own right. I, I, how could you not be grateful? So, I mean, just a, an experience, even, even from the, the ceremony and the DJ and people clapping, you know, the energy. Um, that's, that's why I'm a motivational speaker because it's, a, it's not the words that I say, it's the transfer of energy that I give people. Have you seen the video of you then crawling through the mud on your stumps? It's pretty powerful. Under the barbed wire? I don't know. I can't remember, but I just like, you're just down on the ground there and you're just kind of clawing your way through. That's amazing. I thought it's going to be like more easier because they had to carry the chair up and down these hills. And I thought maybe it's easier on some because I can get it like at home. I get out of my chair all the time. 
that's why when you ask me like is there a difference between wheelchair and prosthetics well I don't spend all the you know I'll get I, I'm not I have no shame in my game like if there's like stairs and I and that's the only way to get up like I'll hop out of my chair somebody grab my chair and I'll hop myself all the way up the stairs you know and it'll probably be the most inspirational thing you saw all day hopefully so <laughs> That's what you should do that. You need to video yourself going up some stairs. Here's your inspiration for the day. Don't go viral on TikTok. I don't know. Now, you guys wanted me to come out and talk, but uh, I'm just going to show you videos. That's right. I was wearing bicycle shorts with padding. And so I just hop out of the chair. And if it was a nice steep drop, then I would just slide. And it was like a magic carpet ride. You just... People are like stopping and taking pictures and, uh, and then, you know, at this point I'm having fun and I want to entertain a little bit. So I do a couple of combat roles at the, at the end, you know, just to, I think just to show my spirit and just show like my lightheartedness, like, yes, I'm, yeah, I'm struggling. Yes. This is some of these things are tough. Not every single thing that oh, just cause you know, you're in a wheelchair, you don't have legs is, is just the hardest thing in the world. Like, I know, not not saying you, but I know some people, they see the they see us that way. You know, they see us like, I drop a piece of paper on the ground and they're like, two guys jumping down the ground. I'm like, guys, I can, like, come on, give me some dignity. You know what I mean? Like, you can't call me like this, this American war guy on one end and be thanking me for that, for being brave or whatever you think. And then, and then on the same note, I can see because I'm, I'm a very conscious person. I study people's patterns. I can see like, you don't believe what you're talking about. Do you so, anticipate doing more with OEW then? Yes, yes, definitely. Next is uh, motivational speaking school down in Florida. And they offer that. So that's going to be- OEW does? Yes, yes, yes. So I did not be- know that. I have been, I uh, one of my buddies- one of my veteran buddies, he was an airborne soldier and just to help him get back into it because he'd never skydive as a civilian. Um, he always calls the army's version a cheap carnival ride because you're tied to a rope. He said, I want the real deal. And I said, well, you know what? If you do it, if you book it, I'll do it with you the first couple of times, you know, cause I want to do it too. Yeah, there was. We went five times. I went five times tandem because I enjoyed it so much. OEW offers the, they'll give me my license. And so I would love to achieve that and say that, hey, man, I I jumped 25 or 30 times and I got that, I worked for it. And listen, if if I can jump out of a plane by myself with a pack on, like you can do, you, you can, you can climb mountains, you know, so and it's all part of my motivation why I want to do all these things because this is my life now. Is I This is my service to the world, whether I get some recognition or not from it or whether I get some paydays or, or whatever. I do a lot of stuff volunteer. I help a lot of people for free. It, you know, it's like, this is my this is my calling. And I knew it I, after I got done throwing up, like, and I started seeing things, listening, you know, and it was like, took a week. You know what I said, you know why I could be so great at this? Because I've had such a crazy, non-pattern, non-traditional upbringing and way of life. And I've been often told, my ex used to say it all the time. She's saying, you got to write a book because your life is like a movie. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Because I was just thinking like, well, be humble. You know what I mean? Like, don't, of course, yeah, like my life is just like you. Everybody has a hard life. And that's true. But in some sense, I think it's how we deal with our life that that's what people see. Well, what are your goals for the future then? Is it to be a motivational speaker? I would love to. Well, I'm already doing motivational speaking and and I do go talk to a lot of soldiers from time to time and do that kind of thing. So I'm just going to keep honing the craft. And, uh, you know, my goal is not to be the next whatever. Um, I don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. I believe that uh, motivational speaking is one of my strong suits. And people think it's the other way around usually, but life, life coaching brings me the most joy. I, and I see it. Like I have this gift, like through my injury and everything. Like, like if I just went out into the world, 
I do it sometimes. I'll just, I'll just be pumping gas. Guys in wheelchairs, we have a habit of popping wheelies. It's just a thing, you know? So it's just like a, a nervous habit. You know, I'll be pumping gas with one hand. I can kind of pop a wheelie with one hand. So sometimes I'll be, you know, and so, you know, at one time I had a guy drive by, for example, and he stops. He circles a couple of times. I'm like, who's this guy? And he stops. He's like, listen, man, I'm not trying to scare you or anything. I just had to tell you, he didn't say because you're a soldier. He didn't say because of the obvious things. He goes, you were smiling so big when I passed by that it caught my attention. And I felt the energy that you had. I got some friends with legs and they're not as happy as you are. And, or, or they're not as grateful in these moments. Uh, you know, it, that kind of stuff sticks with me. And I said, that's my mission. I'm gonna go try to make that feeling that situation, even if I'm the one that's getting the positivity from someone else, because there's always something to be learned from other people. Yeah, that's my mission is to be um, a great life coach and whatever that turns into. Do you have a website then for your life coach? Not yet, because I haven't started putting together like a business model and all that. And so I kind of want to go to this school, get a little more certification. Uh, up until this point, I've just been doing stuff for uh, for free because in my mind, I want the experience and I'm and I'm natural at it. I, I really have fun doing it. I'm not a scripted person the same way we have this conversation. That's how one of my motivational talks is. It's a very it's like a two way street between me and the audience. What is your goal as a life coach then? What what do you do? So I am a master of lifestyle change. And when you think about lifestyles, we're not talking about, you know, a lifestyle of the, you know, rich and famous or prosperity or whatever these, these, these jokers are, are coaching these days, because everybody seems to be kind of a one size fits all. I believe as a life coach, what I want to do with my business, especially when it forms that way, is that, yes, of course, I want to help people with counseling and advice, but that's a very small piece. I'm actually the life coach that, okay, what do we need to do here? Okay, you, for example, people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old, I can't. Okay, well, I'm the, I'm the guy that comes along as a 40 year old and I'm telling you, okay, well, let's just look at what your life is because maybe nobody in your life, maybe they're good people, but maybe they're not being honest with you because that's not allowing you to be honest with yourself. And how do I get most people are never alone in their whole life. They graduate high school, they go stay in, a, in the army or they have kids or, the, you know, and they're never really alone. I've had a year, a couple of years to really be alone and not like run away from that and know that that's a power. I'm not saying I want to be alone for the rest of my life. I mean, that is something that I know that not everybody can do. So that's power. And so when I talk about lifestyle, it's, it's these little ha like habits, rituals, you know, that I call them rituals. Okay, well, well, Frank, I'm, I'm, I've always wanted to do that, but I can't do that. Why you can't do that? Well, I'm, I'm too old now. Okay, well, I'm too disabled then. <laughs> you know, what, is, what do you mean you're too old now? Tell like, <laughs> like, I have friends that are like, not friends that I hang out with because those would be Debbie Downers, but I, I have distant friends. You know, you have distant friends that you put up with. Oh man, I'm getting old. Bro, we are 40 years old. Like, you're, are you serious? This is when you're, as a man, especially this is when life starts. I totally get it because I'll go upstairs usually after these uh, podcasts and I'll tell my husband. So I'll go upstairs and I'll tell him about you and everything you'll do, you've done. And he'll look at me, he'll like, boy, I'm a loser. <laughs> That's, but that's the beauty of it. It, it, it. If that's what it takes, just like me having to say I'm a loser to myself, <laughs> I surely felt like one. Nobody is a loser. But guess what? We are so padded in this life and, and people just want everybody to get a trophy. Yes. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> and, oh, you better not say anything bad about my kid. What you said something about Miss Robinson's kid the other day. What are you talking about? Like, oh, nobody can, your kid is perfect, right? And it's that kind of what I call a toxic environment. When it's shrouded in safety and shelter and love is what people think it is. But really, that kind of love 
is really creating mislove. It's not, I don't know if that's a word, but it's not, it's not creating what love is, is supposed to define, you know, because now it's like, I mean, I see it all the time. I see it in my generation. Guys cannot stand, oh gosh, you know, you looked at my, you looked at my wife. I, I mean, did I look at your wife in passing or because we have eyes or, or, or did I stop and gaze and, and, and make a, you know, because that's what people explain it. Like, yeah. Right. But what, why people go to such extremes and we all do it is because it's that ego, that ego is, is, is in control. And until you make that your cheerleader, it's always going to dictate how you feel, why you feel, uh, why you're good enough, why you're better, why you're not better, all this stuff. When you really need to take that voice in your head and you need to say, hey, look, I'm the driver here. I've been driving for this many years and you're my cheerleader. So when I'm working out or when I'm struggling on the Spartan race and I got to do that warrior cry or I got to I got to say some not so nice words or something to rile myself up. That is how you use your ego. But most people, they use their ego for the outside instead of the inside. And why would it be inside? if it's meant for all this stuff out here, like I'm gonna get a big car and I'm gonna get a big house and I, and I have a lot of money and I need you to see this and whatever. It, you know, that's ego on the outside. That stuff doesn't exist and nobody will remember it. Where can we find you on social media? So I am at Frank Fields on Facebook and I am at Instagram at Fizzletown, uh, F-I-Z-Z-L-E-T-O-W-N zero and so the number zero so but uh usually if people just put fizzle in i'll come up and it's called fizzle town because fizzle is the word that's always associated with oh he just fizzled out oh yeah and so that was one of that was my nickname growing up was fizzle i just fizzled out what had nothing to do with that it was a it was a joke on on some other thing but that's another podcast but um, I called I call Instagram Fizzletown because when people start fizzling out, I have a place where they can come. You're accepted here. I don't necessarily think I'll be on social media like that forever. I, I do have a plan in my around 40, 41 to really kind of get my own website and have that built up and, and going for a couple of years so I can kind of not have to be on Facebook and all this stuff. I mean, I like it. But I think it's dying, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm, I'm working on a website and uh, creating kind of uh, a business model so I can start kind of getting people dialed in with maybe some packages that they might need as far as because some people, they need touch and go work. Some people, you know, and, and right now I do offer you just DM me online. I offer counseling, 30 minute hour long counseling sessions. And, and that kind of thing, I would say I would take donations for, but at the end of the day, I don't really need them. It's like, uh, yeah, I do that kind of stuff through the Facebook and Instagram, but like I say, that's going to turn into more of a, I, I think, a, a professional thing so I can help more people. I have two important questions for you. Okay. Army or Marines? <laughs> don't, uh, don't tell them I said this, but it's Army, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this the second important question. What does America mean to you? What America means to me is yeah, we harp on this thing of freedom, but that's not really what it means to me. What it means to me is that you can come to a place where we can disagree on all kinds of levels. And at the end of the day, if we just listen to each other, we have this great opportunity. And that's why, you know, they say it's the land of freedom, but they also say it's the land of opportunity. And I believe opportunity not only comes in business or, you know, financial restitution or something like this, but it's like people, you know, that's the true investment. And that America is this melting pot. It's this great, beautiful place where, if you just choose to, to listen and maybe not assume and, and put up with some, some opinions that you, you don't agree with, you have a friend around every corner. That's what America means to me. That's why I stayed here when I was 12 years old. 
and and not for that of course i wouldn't had had that on my brain fully like that but that's what it's formed into i think that's that was the foundation of it is that i i understood that a long time ago my father did instill that in me uh he, you know as far as you know frank if you just get your high school diploma you can go far in this place so that was his last dying wish just get your high school diploma he wasn't worried about nothing else Thank you, Frank. Thank you for sharing your American story with us. It was my pleasure. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I I feel honored that I have a platform to say, say all these things on and that you freely let me speak and, and kind of have time to, to kind of ramble and say the things that I need to say. If you want to continue following Frank, and I'm sure you do find him on Facebook at Frank Fields and on Instagram at Fizzletown Zero. Leave a review and rating for the We The People, Our American Story podcast. Subscribe, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now TikTok. Find links in the show notes. Next week, Brian Parrish from the Parish the Thought podcast and I collaborate to bring you our thoughts on immigration, gender, racism, hearing one another, and much more. We The People, Our American Story, the podcast for Americans who love America.